This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. If you've ever gotten frustrated with autocorrect on your iPhone or other Apple products, you're not alone. Sometimes it feels like there's a little sensor both working against you and helping you at the same time. Well, we're about to talk to the man who was responsible for that and who worked on many other Apple products that have become such a part of our lives. Ken Koshenda is a former software engineer and designer at Apple for more than 15 years. He can tell us about some of the Apple products uh, and their design. His new book is Creative Selection, Inside Apple's Design Process During the Golden Age of Steve Jobs, and he joins us on the phone right now. Ken, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked this quite a bit, but, but I'm interested to hear what you say about how you remember Steve Jobs and the work that he did and the work that you did with him. Right. Well, I, Steve was very, very focused on creating great products, and, and that was my goal uh, while I worked there. So there was, there was a, a good alignment there. But Steve, he cared so so much about making products that people would want to go out and buy in the world. And so, you know, my role uh, with him was, you know, he was the CEO and I was an individual software engineer, but he was interested in, in connecting with people like me and, and seeing what was, uh, what was in the pipeline, what was in the development labs, what was in the works. And sometimes I would show him work and he could be pretty intimidating. I, I, I think that's, that's kind of well-known out in the world, but he could also be very, very open to new ideas and, and support people like me and, and, and help me make the, the work that would uh, hopefully get out there uh, and, and, and would please people and make them go out to the store and uh, eventually turn Apple into a trillion-dollar company. And the title of the book refers in part to Apple's approach to creativity. What was that, that mindset in Apple? And what is it? Is it still the same today? Right. Uh, I called the book Creative Selection for a reason, because whenever we had an idea for a a software product, some new feature, the idea was right away, uh, someone like me would make a demo or a prototype, something we could try, not just whiteboarding and blue sky thoughts, but actually making something concrete that I could stop somebody in the hallway and say, here, give this a look. Tell me what you think. And even if that first version wasn't so good, it was a starting point. We could then figure out how to improve it, right. throw out the weak parts, keep the strong. And so creative selection is this, it refers to this Darwinian process. You start with something, no matter where you start with, hopefully the end point is going to be a great product, even if the beginnings were humble. What was the importance of the actual software design in the entire process, especially with uh, you know, trying to do a, a products that were going to be out there on the retail market and the connection with consumers as well? Yeah. The, you know, Apple is, you know, sits at this, this intersection where it's, it's looking at new hardware all the time, sometimes developing new hardware or just keeping an eye on where technology is going. Uh, and yet, we, you know, Apple always had this perspective of, well, the technology by itself isn't enough. Uh, uh, th- we wanted to make products that were useful and meaningful for people in their lives. And right. so they, while, while people were hectic, bustling around with their, with their every, everyday work, that they wouldn't have to 
spend their concentration trying to figure out how their phone works. And so software was the glue in the middle, was that bridge in the middle between the geeky technology stuff on the one hand and hopefully then the useful and meaningful experiences on the other. And so software really made that happen. We're talking with Ken Koshenda, who is the author of the book Creative Selection, Inside Apple's Design Process During the Golden Age of Steve Jobs. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So the autocorrect, um, it is one of the more unique pieces of any uh, bit of, of Apple... Uh, functionality that it has right now. Take us into the process of developing that. Sure. Uh, Autocorrection turned out to be a, a critical part of the concept of the original iPhone. If you think back to smartphones before the iPhone, we think of the BlackBerry. And, and it had this hardware keyboard with the little plastic chiclet keys, and you know, people loved it. They didn't only call it the BlackBerry, they called it the CrackBerry, because it was so addictive to uh, type out your email messages on the move. Now, the iPhone was never going to have a keyboard like that. The keyboard was going to be in software, pixels that could get out of the way when you weren't typing, to open up the device for apps and looking at full-screen photos and playing games and, and all of the things that we've come to expect from our smartphones. And so it became my job through some twists and turns uh, to develop this autocorrect software because uh, to make the keyboard software, you had to type on a sheet of glass. You couldn't feel the keys yeah. with your fingers or with your thumbs. And so autocorrection, uh, trying to take the taps on the screen, take what you did, and figure out what you meant was the real <laughs> challenge. Uh, and, and, and again, software was the way to fill that gap, to uh, try to understand what you did, even though maybe you couldn't quite tap the keys that you, that you want. But how challenging is it when you're trying to do something, as you just said, that people may have meant to say, correct? Yeah, that, that, that totally is it. And, and so the, the, the key aspect of that, it's a little bit of a pun there, it's, it's keyboard humor. So the key aspect of that was if you, if you think about typing a word on a touchscreen and you tap, 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 tap for a four-letter word, hopefully not a four-letter word, maybe we'll get to that, but you tap four times, well, that makes a shape on the screen. Those taps, one after the other, looks like almost like a constellation. Right. You think of looking up in the sky at the stars, you see just the stars by themselves. But then we, 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 we put a pattern on top of that. And that's what I did. I looked at those taps yeah. and I compared them to words in the dictionary. And I said, you know what? Maybe those letters that popped up weren't exactly what you wanted, but it kind of looks like a word from the dictionary. So that's what I gave you. Try to match the patterns of your taps to the ways that dictionary words would look with their sort of ideal patterns. The, that was, that's kind of the trick. 
the the reaction I, I would be interested to know of, of what you have gotten over the years from people, from consumers about autocorrect. And and obviously it's important, but at times what feels like for people a little level of, of frustration when they're trying to do one thing and it ends up being another when they when you they look at the screen. Right. And and of course the 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 biggest complaint I've gotten over the years is getting in the way of people's swearing. It's like, I'm yeah. sorry. I do. You know, you're you're trying to type one one thing, and it it, it turns out to another. And and the classic example of this is that people wind up referring to waterfowl, duck, instead of some other word. And so yes, this is this. Uh, and and I apologize to your <laughs> listeners out there for, for for getting in the way. But look at it this way: I've maybe saved. Uh, you as well from some embarrassing circumstances. Uh, imagine this: you you you've gone on vacation, you've rented a, a, a lovely house by the lake, and uh, you want to then maybe text your grandma to tell her about the beautiful ducks on the pond. Yes, right. Well, yes. if you didn't if you didn't type that exactly right, yes, you don't want the autocorrect to maybe substitute the swear word yeah. for. Uh, for the the, the, the lovely uh, the lovely view that you're having uh, of your house on the lake, so it is. I mean, it, that that outlines a little bit of the challenge that I had. It's like, do I give you the swear word when you didn't exactly type it right, or do we kind of back off and give you something else? It's it's challenge. Uh, you say in the book that fear of failure was your biggest concern. Oh yes, of course. Whenever you're you're doing something new, I, you know, again comparing the iPhone to the BlackBerry, you know, we we when when products are out in the market, particularly successful products like the BlackBerry, uh, people begin to assume that the next thing is just going to be a refinement of what's come before. I, I, you look at something and it's familiar. A lot of times. In software development, we use the word intuitive. Right. This software is intuitive, and and so the putting out a a a software keyboard where you couldn't feel the keys. Well, that that really just went against people's expectations. It wasn't intuitive right off the bat. It's one of the reasons why we did uh, end up with with a QWERTY keyboard. You know, a keyboard layout where the keys are. Uh, all in the same position as they are, uh, say, on your laptop uh, or your desktop computer. We we experimented with many many different things, but but we 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 tried to uh, you know again bridge that gap, make this make the the phone look as intuitive as possible, even though that keyboard was going to be in software. Is it amazing to you that uh, how? Even your role in software development in the process of developing a lot of, of these items ha has helped to the point where Apple is such an incredible culture amongst Americans right now. Yeah, uh, you know, I, this is gratifying to me. Uh, we, you know, I was, uh, you know, an individual programmer, uh, and uh, naturally there are many, many people that are involved in, in making. Uh, an Apple product, and uh, so you know there was this culture of uh, working hard, uh, dedicating yourself to the to the work, and trying to imagine. I mean, I I I think that that uh, the the idea of empathy 
uh, is is something that maybe you don't think about yeah. uh, from the outside world uh, as being a big part of technology development and software development, but it was this culture of thinking about people and trying to empathize with them and their future experiences that they would be having with the work that we're, we're working on and we're, we're developing in the labs. It was a big part of uh, the ethos, the, the everyday experience of going in every day and, and, and trying to get the work done and, and hit our busy schedules, hit those, hit those dates where yeah, the executives would go out on stage and announce the new product. That word empathy is one that you mention in a group of seven words that you think are very important to the success uh, of, of Apple software uh, over the years. And again, empathy is an interesting word, I think, to use when you're talking about what what you guys did, because, again, you have to kind of look outside of the walls of your offices in the development to what people really are thinking and what they would like to have in a particular device. Yeah. And we as as technologists and, and as software designers, uh, we were thinking about these products all day every day and we had to imagine the experience of people who want the benefits of the technology they want to send their texts and they want to take their photos and their selfies and they want to post them on social networks and they all wanted to just work and actually these there there's so many so many elements that go into making these experiences actually happen and so we had to imagine what it would be like uh, for someone who doesn't care about the gadget for the sake of the gadget, but, but simply just wants the experiences and then wants to get on with the rest of their lives. So, you know, this empathy, this, this notion, putting ourselves in, in somebody else's shoes right. was, uh, was, was a big part of, of how we thought about, how we approached our, our design and development work. Ken Koshenda is our guest. He is the author of the book Creative Selection Inside Apple's Design Process During the Golden Age of Steve Jobs. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, you talk in the book about both pressures and pleasures that you had for working at Apple. Pressures, I can imagine, with trying to get all of these devices perfect and working correctly and being successful. But, but what about the pleasure side of it? Well, the, the pleasure side of it usually came down to seeing the products eventually out in the world. I mean, one of my, my favorite things, and when we talked about the, the frustration sometimes that people feel with, uh, typing and autocorrection and, and wanting one thing but having the software give you another. And hey, I understand that. But right. the, the, you know, there's, there's, there's also the, the pleasurable side for me as a designer walking down the street. Uh, in, uh, I was just in, in Manhattan uh, several days ago and walking down the street and seeing people in Times Square uh, in mid midtown Manhattan with their iPhones out. They're taking their selfies and they're posting and then they're typing on that software keyboard. Yep. Or another big example, a favorite example of mine is at the end of airline flights. 
So, of course, you know, most people have their smartphones. They've got them in airplane mode while the, while the plane is in the air. But then when you land, <laughs> the flight attendant comes on and says, okay, everybody, you can turn on your electronic devices. And people do. <laughs> and they take their phones out of their pocket or their bag, and they type out a text message to the person maybe uh, waiting that baggage claim saying, hey, I just landed. I'll see you. I'll be right there. Love you even. <laughs> And many of and, many of them don't even wait for the uh, stewardess the, to to make that <laughs> statement. As soon as the wheels touch the tarmac, touch the runway, right. they're they're starting that process. And so you say that the pleasure for me is that the first thing that they do is they're looking at that software keyboard. And 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 again, from from the empathy standpoint, they're not thinking about the technology. They're thinking about the person there that they're going to be meeting up with that they just flew into town to see. And so that, for me, is uh, the, the, really the most the most pleasurable aspect of the work is giving people these experiences enabled by technology. So, what do you think is coming forward in terms of, of software that maybe the consumer won't necessarily think about on a day to day basis, but will have an impact in a lot of these phones moving forward? What are the th- things that will be those next disruptions? Yeah, you know, it's it's actually I'm even gonna I'm gonna take that question because it was very it's very exciting to me not only the phone but the uh, but the watch, which has really runs the same software as the, as uh, as as your phone, but the Apple Watch uh, has all of these wonderful health features that are now coming online. Right, and so uh, people will be wearing this watch on their wrist, and it'll be communicating to their uh, their phone in their pocket. And if the watch can sense that your heart rate is maybe slowing down or getting irregular, uh, it can notify your doctor right away. You don't even need to do anything. Uh, that uh, could very, very likely save lives. Uh, so, you know, we think again, you know, I, I use the word gadget a lot uh, to refer to these, these, uh, these, you know, these technology artifacts in our lives. But when uh, a product, the hardware and the software and, and, and the, the personal connection that you have to these devices all come together to maybe uh, n- notice when you, you might be in danger of having a heart attack and maybe get you some medical attention, right. that's, that's a pretty remarkable uh, step forward in, in what we can expect from these quote-unquote gadgets. What is, let me ask you, since we just passed release day for Apple, what is that day like for you, even today? Because I would imagine there's there's a, a even a sense of excitement and, and, and joy that you get now when you hear about these new devices coming out. It's, it's true. Uh, I left Apple uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, but still, yes, when, when the new products are coming out, it's, it's, very, it's very exciting. I was there. I was there watching the live stream because I uh, I still uh, very much uh, uh, love Apple products and 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 use them and talking to you now on on my iPhone uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah it, it is uh, it, it's wonderful to see and I, of course I I still have many colleagues who are uh, working at the company and 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 so it's it's wonderful to uh, then be able to talk about them after release day. Yeah. Uh, naturally, the secret secrecy is is very, 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 uh, very much in place. Uh, and so, when the products come out, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter and I'm I'm texting uh, my friends, congratulating them, and and yeah, talking about the talking about the products. So it's uh, I'm still I still very much feel 
uh, an affinity uh, for the culture, even though I'm not uh, not directly in it anymore. Yeah, because because having that type of environment, it's something that a lot of businesses want to have these days. They want to be able to put teams together to be able to work on projects. The days of of one person tackling a problem, I think, are 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 gone for the most part in business. So there had to be something incredibly special about that type of environment to be able to do this type of work in that setting and have the successes that you did. Yeah, the collaboration that we that we had uh, was uh, really a, a, a critical part of how the products came together. I I don't know it's how you could make uh, an iPhone uh, or an iPad or or an Apple Watch uh, being uh, uh, two young people working in a garage. Uh, I I think that, as you say, I think the days for that. Uh, are 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 over in terms of these products that include the hardware, software, services, global supply chain, uh, and 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 marketing and legal and trying to get these products out so that they'll be in stores all over the world. Right. It it, it takes a huge team. And back when I was working on say the iPhone uh, years ago, we we had this uh, remarkable CEO. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs, who was uh, the, the conductor of the orchestra, and uh, he really set the set the tone for the company, yeah. and uh, and set the company on a on a track and gave it a gave it a push and momentum that you know is is continuing under Tim's leadership, uh, and and of course we still see we saw last week the products and what was it just last month that that trillion dollar uh, market cap so sure. uh, you know that. That that momentum is still still going. There, there's a com- there's a comment that you make in the notes for the book that I wanted to bring up as we wrap it up here. Uh, you say I wrote I wrote this book for creative and technical people in all fields and businesses to show how we approach design challenges at at, at Apple, and and I want to ask you that do you think then that there are things that need to be looked at within other companies that maybe there's a, a path that they can follow, build off of what you and your cohorts did at Apple to improve other companies as well. Yeah, the the you know these seven elements that I talked about: uh, inspiration, collaboration, craft, diligence, decisiveness, taste, and empathy. These were the the building blocks of our our everyday actions. You'll notice that there's not uh, politics, right? And, right. Yes. <laughs> right. Is 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 not in there. Right. And that uh, that big bureaucracies aren't in there. We tried, even though Apple was uh, was was a big company, even back in the days where we were developing the iPhone, we tried to run it a little bit more like a startup. Get small teams together. Right. Uh, empower them. Give them the. Uh, the authority and and the uh, the support to uh, to make a difference, and so uh, you know the the example would be that yeah you can start uh, with uh, with an idea like an iPhone something you know totally different from what was uh, in the market uh, a kind of a new a new approach and yes those those ideas can get out in the world and be successful you remember apple never sold a smartphone before it sold the smartphone uh and and yet when the iphone went out in the world it was accepted and it's it's made a real difference so people out there listening now like what can you do starting today that you know 10 years from now maybe you'll be uh, uh, uh you'll be the one 
uh, chatting on this show, uh, talking yeah. about what you did. Great having you with us today, Ken. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a really entertaining book and a look inside Apple. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Ken Kashenda. Again, the book is Creative Selection Inside Apple's Design Process During the Golden Age of Steve Jobs. Uh, Ken, the former principal engineer of the of iPhone software at Apple. Uh, the book is out in bookstores and online for your purchase now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.